On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with Kevin Smith from Smash Brand. Kevin is in an interesting space. He owns multiple brands. I think he said he's done four or five, about year and a half to two year exits on products that he has developed on Amazon, kind of brought up. You know, some into that sort of seven to 10 million kind of range, some full brands that have been in stores. Uh, just a really interesting guy to talk to. Also, just a great guy to, to chat with. He's also got an agency that helps people develop products uh, and then validate them. He actually walked through all the steps that he takes. And I, I'm going to write these notes down later because I thought it was that incredible. All the, the steps that he takes to actually validate a product. And he talked about how he doesn't necessarily look for a product that no one is selling. He looks for products that need little tweaks and then and then builds the brand around that. And so super interesting conversation. I highly recommend you listen to this one like multiple times. Really smart guy. And yeah, you guys are going to love this one. At Mindful Marketing, we know that you want your brand to be successful. In order to do that, though, you need to predictably acquire new customers. The problem is Facebook and Google are only getting more expensive, which makes you feel unsure of whether your brand will survive. We believe that building a community of loyal and repeat customers is the answer. We understand how hard it is to predictably grow a brand, which is why we have created a system using our own mid-seven-figure e-commerce brand as a test case. And here's how we do it. Number one, we execute a profitable ads strategy. Number two, we build a brand-owned loyal base of repeat customers. And number three, we grow exponentially, predictably, and consistently. So download our free sales launch checklist at mindfulmarketing.co slash SLC so you can stop having sales that bomb and instead grow your revenue predictably and exponentially. Today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand is brought to you by Mindful Marketing. At Mindful Marketing, they use ads to get you off using ads. Most e-commerce brands rely heavily on Facebook, Google, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok for the majority of their revenue. At Mindful Marketing, they use paid ads to help you build a community of loyal and repeat customers that will exist long after Facebook and Google do. For more information, go to mindfulmarketing.co. Now on to today's episode. I'm here with Kevin Smith from Smash Brand. Kevin, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Pleasure. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, this is like 17 minutes past when we were supposed to start. Uh, this is classic. I know that this is going to be a good episode because of that. You know, if if it's like, a, you know, a one minute conversation and I'm like, okay, okay, let's just do this thing. That's not a good sign. So this is a good sign, Kevin. I'm super pumped to talk to you because we were, we actually just figured this out right before we started recording that uh, you are my bald American twin. Uh, in, I'm in pretty sure we we're related somehow. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we share some kind of DNA. Totally. So Kevin, t- uh, for people who don't know you, tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm a longtime entrepreneur. I, I can give you the, the quick kind of one minute. I was early on, I was in the uh, in the Marine Corps after getting out. I had met my business partner and we, this is back in 2001, decided to launch our first brand. And so we kind of risked everything, mortgaged our homes, you name it. And uh, that brand, we, we launched, it became pretty successful um, global brand. And uh, we were approached by uh, private equity. So we sold that brand. And then we did the same thing four more times where we would go into a new market, kind of the way that we like to launch a brand, we would do that. And, you know, kind of success about every year and a half, we would sell it. What we learned we were really terrible at was scaling. We're not good people. 
people. We're not good managers and we're not good at scaling businesses. We try to bring in, you know, we hit that growth hurdle and start to bring in, you know, sales people and managers and the company became not very fun for us. There's some people that are great with that. So we would just sell it and then start the next one because the part we liked was the creation process. And then along that and what way- what was that area like where you were good up until? It always seemed to be the same place. It was always around 15 employees and seven to 10 million in revenue. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it was yeah. always seemed like we hit that curve, early adopters. We have the follow on audience that would happen. We'd be writing it. We're like, this is great. And then all of a sudden it would kind of, we would just have that growth hurdle that we knew unless we scaled, we couldn't get over it. And then that was when we just, we were, that was not our thing. Well, and that's a perfect exit opportunity to private equity as well. Right. Right in there. Cause I'm assuming perfect you'd be area, in that yeah. kind of one to two EBITDA range where exactly. they like that. Right. hundred you nailed it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I think right when you hit, when you're above five, you can do it. But really if you're in six to seven ish, that's the real perfect spot for private equity to come and do a roll up of revenue. Yeah. 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 That's interesting because for me as an investor, I really like that lower phase. I like those founders who just have hit the ceiling, you know, sort of that two, I picture it that two to 3 million kind of range. They're just accidental entrepreneurs. Right. And they're like, Oh, I don't, totally. I don't know where to go from here. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so I kind of like that range and then building. So, yeah. And they're happy too, for that call because, you know, they've got this thing, they've had some success and they don't know what to do with it. And so they're happy to find somebody that can take it to the next place. Usually. I mean, it's not like they're even getting cheated out of anything. It's they need that help. Absolutely. So for you, the reason why we're not exact clones of each other, besides the hair, is that you are a mainly Amazon first entrepreneur. Is that correct? Well, I should know. And so when we had these other brands there, we didn't do any Amazon. I mean, we were full, oh, okay. we had, you know, full distributions, omni-channel distributions. You could find us in, you know, Walmart, you could find us in all kinds of stores, you know, sold online, um, brick and mortar retail. And that was a lot to manage. You know, we have, you know, sales team out there, you know, meeting with distributors, doing sales calls, buyers, meetings, all of that. And then, so to finish that story, when we sold our last brand, it was about 2010. And then we would just get approached by other companies that would call us and say, Hey, can you tell us who your agency was? We want to work with them to develop our brand. It was mostly kind of funded startups at that time uh, or other, or other kind of private equity firms. And so one time I would just like, Hey, this is interesting to me. It was Venice Beach, California. I'm like, I'll just do it. It was our team. We don't have an agency. It was us. And so my company that I do now, Smash Brand, that's how it started. And and so at that point, we're still entrepreneurs. So as that company was growing, we still needed to, we liked doing, we would see opportunities in the market, but now we know we didn't want to have to go back there and have all this warehousing and huge offices. So we're like, what if we just kind of put our money where our mouth is and a couple of times a year, launch a product on Amazon. And so that's why today the Amazon company has one employee and there's not a single product that doesn't do at least a million dollars in revenue over there. But Amazon, it's been easy. Again, we don't scale it, but you know, they just, they sit there. And then what we'll do is we'll let those sales uh, kind of, and the products build a little bit of momentum. And like, now we're already in talks with some of the brands we launched last year. We're going to sell those off to somebody, you know, like yourself, who can take them to the next level and really kind of um, manage and put some marketing behind him and all that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I've, I've definitely had some great conversations with other CEOs doing these roll-ups uh, right now. There's quite a few, especially in the Amazon space that are just coming in and be like, yeah, sweet. You got a million dollar revenue product. Awesome. We'll take that. We'll take that. And they've got these incredible systems built out to scale to that sort of level. So it's really an interesting space to be in right now. Amazon brands are pretty straightforward though. My business partner deals with most of this, but there's kind of like a formula. And you know, I know he, um, there's even a marketplace for that where kind of put your Amazon brand through this formula. It's not hard to calculate the, how much it's worth and how much you can exit for. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard multipliers are, are generally in the four to five range. Is that correct? 
It was funny. I was just talking with this private equity firm yesterday. They're doing, they're doing between 3.5 and five on the high end. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've heard on the Amazon brand side. So let's talk about, I'd love to actually get into your formula um, for brands. I mean, you obviously have a formula. I know that because you told me first of all, (laughs) and second of all, it's just obvious. I mean, you're not just like making this up as you go along, right? If you're launching multiple brands like this, can you walk me through just a little bit of that formula? hundred percent. And so we're just, this is the show about secrets. So we're just going to do the whole formula right here. And anybody, anybody can really follow it. I think that um, everybody has a different path to how they can be successful. This is one that my partner, Michael and and I, we figured out a long time ago, we both had uh, tech backgrounds. And, um, and really today, I don't care if we're working with a huge brand like PlayStation or a funded startup, you're going to go through the exact same process. And it's going to have a consistent output every single time. You cannot mess it up. I would challenge anybody who does this correctly. And even the sixth thing on Amazon, you're going to do a million dollars in a few months. It's not hard. I mean, it's really not hard. And so coming from this, Michael, he's a, um, he's an engineer and then went back to school for kind of consumer behavior. He was really interested in that. And then similar for myself. And if you look at kind of software side of things of when a, you know, when a company is starting up, they're doing a lot of agile prototyping. They're doing all kinds of consumer testing. By the time that they put this SaaS app or whatever it is online, they basically already know you're doing ghost buttons and all of these things. You already know pretty much how it's going to perform. And so, you know, I've hired some big brand agencies and I was through our kind of evolution of having brands. And the question was always, why is somebody always, these agencies always working off of a ton of subjectivity. And really, when you launch your brand, it comes down to risk aversion and subjectivity. They're telling you they got all these amazing ideas for your brand. You're getting pitched. You're showing some friends and family and talking about it. Finally, you're bringing it to market and nine out of 10 of them fail. And that's kind of the the normal formula. And so for us, it's not. And anybody can have the right formula, but it starts off first with white space and everybody would be like, oh, you know, that's, but most of the calls we get, people think, you know, hey, I'm, I want to talk to you about, you know, doing, let's say packaging or something, but really they need to back up. And so you need to think about first white space and that white space is going to be across two levels and it's going to be at the brand level, which the brand level is really, you know, how consumers uh, see you and your kind of difference and the need that you serve in the marketplace and on the product level. So you got to have two check boxes. We're going to have white space, which is brand level and product level positioning that's differentiated, not just like product level, or a lot of times people have an idea for a brand, but they're selling a commoditized product. Yeah. I don't care what your commoditized product is. You can always find, and I can give tons of examples of this. You can always find a way to have some product level that serves a need. It feels like need gap for those customers. So Brand level is the overall need of the consumer. And you're really going to go into a very specific audience. And then product level is the attributes that fill those gaps for the consumer. So So you're making sure, I just want to just jump in here for one sec. So you're making sure that this is not a commoditized product. Yeah. Even if it is, we're going to differentiate it somehow. We're going to think of a way, and I can give an example of an Amazon brand that we have today. So we looked at the space of MCT oil. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Very, that now that's super commoditized. Super commoditized. And so yeah. as we're using some tools to pull in Amazon reviews and everything else, there was one thing that we kept seeing people complaining about. They would use the product, set it down on the countertop and oil would spill down the side. Okay. And okay. sorry, and I just want to, sorry, I'm just going to step right in there just for yeah. one sec. When you're saying using a tool, I'm assuming you're talking like Jungle Scout or Helium 10 or one of those. We do use those, but this is actually some, it's more like word clouding tools where we go in and pull up every possible Amazon review. And these are internal tools gotcha. that we built. 
ourselves okay. and they go and they build word patterns for us. So we're looking for patterns, right? That's the yeah, main okay. opportunity. Cool, cool. I just wanted to differentiate what kind of tool you were talking about exactly. Yeah. So these are, we've invested a lot in our own tools, but anybody could do the same thing. I don't care if it's a spreadsheet or you're writing on a whiteboard, right? It's just, or so Jungle Scout doesn't quite do these things, but um, yeah. So we aggregate reviews, looking for patterns of what, and really looking for patterns in the negative things. That's the most Yeah, important. of course, of course. One stars, yeah. two stars, because then there's a lot of opportunity. And so, great. Uh, we see a lot of people complaining that the products drip or, and they're all kind of in these shampoo looking bottles back then. So our idea was, Hey, this is a commoditized product, but we're going to build a brand that caters to that specific audience. And so we simply put it in more of an olive oilish container with a pour spout. Nobody had done that at the time. And it was simple to source, put the thing in it. Now it pours, it doesn't drip. It catches the drip. And like our Amazon listing really talks about the spill proof MCT oil. And of course, all the attributes that matter for the category of it being organic and everything else and really high quality, but leaning into the thing that people don't like. And almost instantly, it was a million dollar brand. So we have the brand level positioning, which was creating the kind of emotive state of a great MCT oil brand. And then it was the product level positioning of taking something commoditized and just with the container and the form and the substrate, making it differentiated than anything else. And so that was wow. the two things. That's the start. And so- that, that's um, such yeah. a great example, Kevin. Thank you. Because I was thinking, okay, you're probably looking for products that, you know, people maybe don't even know that they want, but that's not it at all. Like no. you're totally fine taking a product and just tweaking it. Exactly. Yep, yeah. exactly. And so in a lot of the calls that we get when they say that, hey, we want, you know, branding or this, they actually need to back up. For me to work on it, they need to back up. I don't care what it is, if it's a battery or a sunscreen, right? Like these are commodities, but we're going to figure out a way to make that special somehow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and so now once we have that, that's the first step. So white space brand and product, you should be able to start building charts and mapping out all the competitors and your product, just from how we're positioning it should be alone in its own area. You know, when we're mapping out all of these things that matter. And so yeah. once we have that, then it comes into, which I think, and I should say the most important thing that we do is, so you have these ideas, but you need to test them. And I, that's the, what I forgot to talk about is, is, you know, for us and our own brands, building these systems where we can bring in thousands and thousands of consumers in a matter of hour. And we're going to have these buckets of things that we've identified. Like with MCT oil, we identified like six things that we thought could be interesting. But as okay. we started testing these positioning options of product level positioning with consumers, instantly we start seeing the one that's spill free bubbling up quick. And so we're validating everything. That's so important to do. You can't just have the idea. You have to validate it. Because if it was a bad idea, we would know instantly and not develop, not put any more time or money into it. Just throw it away. So can you walk me through the validation process a little bit more? Yeah. Like is, is that actually putting up a listing, seeing if there's click through to it? Sort of in a fake way. So we acquire audience. So we have, and there's panel providers out there that, that you pay, right? Okay. We have our own way of doing it, but you can hire a panel provider and say, hey, I'm looking for females within this age range that have bought a MCT oil product in the last three months or intend to in the next month. So you can define that target audience that you have. And then you're, you could- So is that kind of like a focus group, like a focus group of back in the day? Ours is like a focus group, but it's online, but it all happens at the same time. And it's through an automated system. You can also think of it, if you could make it really generic, you could call it a survey. Okay. So like people listening to this, I mean, you want somebody that's more of a statistician and a researcher to be able to craft the right questions. But even if you don't have that, you can do surveys. So you say, hey, we have this brand and you articulate that positioning and you do it another, you articulate another position and another position. And you kind of start split testing those just like you would 
you know, a marketing campaign and yeah. see where the affinity lies with those customers. And you'll see this one idea that you thought was amazing. Nobody really cares about. And in another idea, like being spill proof, people start liking it and you're like, okay, we're onto something here. And you refine that with these, with this testing until you have one that is outperforming. You're also bringing in your competitors positioning until you outperform okay. competitors. With just words right now, we're just words. There's nothing yeah. more than words. And you can simulate that through listings on Amazon. If you were in brick and mortar, you can simulate it other ways, or you can simply just use words like a survey and paint the context for the consumer. Uh, yeah, that's great. I'm thinking of, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just gonna step in for a sec. We do this all the time when we're buying properties uh, just to see what the rents are, right? So we just make up, we just do a ghost listing right out there. And, and that's it. And then we see, we're like, okay, let's put this one up at 1800 and see, oh, we had 73 people reach out. Sweet. Let's put it at 2000 and see what happens. Right. So I, I imagine that it's a similar process. It is. So um, you're, you're testing price tolerance there. And it's really, there's a lot of similarities to that and how you would test positioning. And it's important to always test it against the competitive set, but it's exactly that. You're, you're, you're creating a, an artificial context for people to see if they're interested in it or not, just like you're listening. How much feedback are you getting? Is this 10 people? Is this 100 people? 1,000? What, what is probably the, every to be thousand, statistic, okay. You need an accurate representation of the US population of that demographic. So that varies per product. The more familiar and commoditized something is, the number needs to be smaller, actually. And if you okay, have something really sense. niche, you can need 2,000. But um, somewhere between 300 and 1,000 is going to be the right number, usually. Okay. Okay. That's great. So now you've gotten to this point. Yeah. Is it straight to manufacturing now? No, no, not, no, no, we're not there. Two more, two more check boxes and then you're ready to go. And so, no, I just want to get to selling. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, so now, so now we have the right positioning, but it's, that's just like this kind of thing in our heads, right? It's not, we haven't brought it to life yet. And so okay. next thing, which I think is so important is articulating that positioning. And uh, this is an Amazon brand and I call it touch point articulation. And okay. that is, you know, now that listing is going to sell everything. So what are the words on that listing that are going to make this thing sell? Or, you know, at the product level, if this is going to go in Walmart or Target, the primary display panel, that PDP, what's going on there that um, is going to make it sell. And this is where we take that positioning that we know is going to work. And we actually need to articulate it into consumer facing statements or feature benefits, value propositions, all of those things. And so you come up with different buckets in different voices and tones, explaining it differently. And then again, it's all about the testing and the technical term for this testing is called white box testing. And to visualize what that looks like is if I took my product and put it into a white box and took the right words that I think are the right words and start black text kind of listing out, you know, what the product is, the value proposition, the reason to believe all of those things on the product or on the fake listing. And then I start bringing my competitors in that is the actual product with the full design systems and everything. And I'm testing them for, you know, preference, affinity, purchase intent, all these important metrics that you have to get to. We should find that we are getting to around eight to 12% purchase intent with no brand name, no logo, no design, white box, black text. And when we get to that number, we're in a place where people want the hell out of this product. And now we just got to create the brand for it. Are you using the same group of people to test that? You got to throw them away because they're biased now. So of we, course. Need, we need yeah. fresh people. So fresh people every time, same kind of system, but fresh people every time. And again, and sometimes you have to do this test twice, right? You run it first time, maybe you're getting like 4% purchase intent. We look at the data. I see kind of where, you know, up against these competitors said how we have to clarify some things, make those changes, test again. And now we're eight to 12%. We're in a good spot. And now you're ready for the final piece. And that final piece is really just, now it's creating the, you know, the context of the brand, which is the design systems and all that's supposed to support, which is everything from 
And this sounds crazy because people come up with a name, spend all this time maybe working on a name or something else. It's important, but it's the least importance in my opinion. Uh, There's a lot of great names out there that you can have for your product. There's a lot of great designs. What they have to fit now is you need to back that in. And as you're testing these things with consumers first, does it fit the context, the brand positioning and the way that the brand is communicating? Does it support that? And if it does, we're going to sell some product. And so initially, we know, I like to come up with maybe 30 different concepts of this fast, like fast prototyping, agile prototyping. You can do this in three or four days and then start testing that again, round robin testing all of these against these, I call them designs now against themselves, whether they're Amazon layouts or packaging design. And you're going to get the two that are working really good. You merge those together. And now you bring in full testing against all your competitors. And what we want to see is that we're taking at least 20 to 40% purchase intent away from those competitors. And you loop that a few times until your design and words are optimized. And now you go to manufacturing and you put it on Amazon and you're going to kill it. Kevin, I believe you. Six weeks. <laughs> I like, six I hear weeks. it. Six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. That That's is all it takes. And I'm not going to lie. Like when somebody hires us to do it, I mean, a lot of times it's more like 16 weeks. It slows down. Maybe they want some more data. There's decisions to be made. Large brands are even slower. But if I'm doing my own brand, it's six weeks. We're moving fast. I don't want to get stuck up in strategy. Strategy is an excuse not to execute. Let's just, we're going to, tons of ideas, tons of testing. We'll find out what works. Yeah. Love this. I absolutely love this. So let's, let's just talk about your agency. I know you guys are super, super busy. This isn't necessarily just about your agency. I'm super interested to hear, you know, your whole story here, but when somebody comes to your agency, are they coming with an idea already or are they creating that with you? Usually they do. I think it depends on the, um, where they're at as a company. So we used to not work with any large brands and what I've seen in the, in the shift in the market was a few years ago, four years ago, all of these really cool challenger brands are out there today and they're dominating with millennials and everything else, right? You can think of it from, you know, kombuchas to natural macaroni and cheeses. Like they're out there and they're taking money away from craft, right? And so now it's craft calling and they're like, hey, we want to think like those guys. And so they have a product already, but they don't have any of the idea of how to think like what the modern audience of millennials and even getting into like Gen Z of what they're going to want. Right. And so that's why something that like we do is, is very attractive to them. Now, smaller brands and startup and challenger brands, they usually already have the idea, right? Sometimes with them, it's more of, Hey, let's just back up and do maybe a little bit of validation on that idea. Maybe we're going to tweak it a little bit because when we do that, it's the difference between like 5% purchase intent against competitors and 35%. Small Mm. changes can make a big difference. Gotcha. Gotcha. This was super interesting, Kevin. I really appreciate this. I got to ask you the question. I ask everybody who comes on this podcast, what is your secret to scaling? I don't think I have a secret to scaling because we're really terrible at it. <laughs> but, and that's just an honest <laughs> question. It's, if I want your secret to scaling, it's a thing that we've never been able to do. Like I said, we're good at getting it to 10 million after that. Uh, it's not, but, but my that secret- is scaling to a lot of people, yeah. Kevin, right? Yeah. But, but that my secret scale. to scaling to there is that formula. And like, you don't know, no one in your audience, you know, has to hire an agency like ours to do it. Like that's the whole thing. You can figure that out. You can hire little bits and pieces along. And if you do that one thing, that's my secret. And you will have a successful brand. I honestly, I'm, I'm probably going to get one of my assistants after this to listen to this episode and write out all of these steps because I, I love it. I just think that it's like absolutely brilliant. It seems like a simple formula, but I'm sure it took you years to come to. It did. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if this matters at all. I don't know kind of your format of when you put something out there. I, I could easily make a diagram of that and send it to you and you guys can copy it and use it. And, and 
if your audience would find it helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'll even send that out to my email list as well, because I just feel like that would be super helpful for people. Kevin, we're going to move on to our lightning round here. Oh, got a couple of, you know, really difficult questions for you. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite tool or app that you're using right now? Favorite tool or app? You know, I think that it, uh, that's a good question. It's a hard one because we built all our own tools and all of our own apps. Yeah, yeah. But, but if it's an external one, one that I still find extreme value in and that I use almost every day is Jungle Scout. I love it. Even if it's a huge brand that we're talking to, I can get a glimpse of what's happening with their brand uh, on Amazon, the largest marketplace in the world. So I use that one every single day. That and just daily management. There's another app called ClickUp that I love, those two. Okay, awesome, awesome. We're, we're big Monday users, so I mean- same thing. Uh, I almost went there. Yeah, Monday's cool. <laughs> Monday's just a little bit more visual. Like, so for like, especially at the, the agency and our clothing brands and stuff, everyone's a little bit more visual. So they like the Monday idea, you know? I might have to revisit that. I, I've heard it's great. It's honestly the functionality. We were looking at moving over to ClickUp and we're like, it's the same functionality. It's there's well, no, good like, it's just prettier and may have more integrations. Oh, I like they're prettier just, though. They're like just prettier. fighting at each other. So <laughs> awesome. Favorite podcast or audiobook? So yeah, favorite podcast there is, and this was an agency podcast, which is strange, but it was called uh, Two Bobs. You ever heard of it? Yes. Yes. Oh yes. My partner listens religiously to Two Bobs and then will let me know the episodes I have to listen to. Yeah. He's local actually. Yeah. I've actually he, hired both of them before for some consulting and it's probably, uh, at least Blair was some of the best yeah. money I've ever spent, ever spent. Yeah. But I mean, Blair ends like absolutely. I, when we first started our agency, I think we were about a year in and working on pricing and, and we read pricing creativity and it was like, oh my gosh, this is how people make money in an agency. It was crazy. Oh, yes. I get it now. <laughs> I had never come from an agency and like, I remember starting this and we like worked on this brand and now this brand is a billion dollar brand. I charged them just because I was doing it almost for fun. Like we, I was just doing it. It was like charging like 10 grand for the logo or something. And we built the brand out now. And then I remember meeting Blair and he's talking to me. I'm like, you're crazy. Like people will pay this kind. And now it's 250,000. Right. Uh, and it was, and it was yeah, really yeah. because of his, his guidance. Anyways, that's my, that I've, I've loved listening to those guys just because I don't come from the agency world. So it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I still find the agency world hard to think about coming from a product. Sometimes I'm just like with the agency world, I'm like, I just want to sell stuff. It's just so much easier just to sell good products than, yes. you know, than work with clients. I mean, luckily I'm not on the client side anymore, but like, it's tough. It's tough. Anyone out there? I mean, I know we've got a lot of digital marketers that also listen to this podcast. So guys, I empathize with you. <laughs> uh, Kevin, I got one more question for you. If you could sit down with anybody who's alive right now, have some coffee, tea, beer, wine, whatever, kombucha, who would it be? Oh boy. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, probably. Oh, That's good why. answer. I think that he's a brilliant guy that can take these extremely complex kind of physics things that I can't understand, but it really interests me and explain them to a kindergartner. So I think that would yeah. be, a, I would love it. Yeah, I love, I, I almost, I'd probably say once a week, I watch one of his YouTube videos on something and I'm just like, he's brilliant. Right. I, yeah. Yeah. Explaining the multiverse and exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people get in touch with you and uh, any of your companies? Sure. Easy. Uh, smashbrand.com. Just it's S-M-A-S-H-B-R-A-N-D.com. And I'm just Kevin at smashbrand.com. Awesome. And are you active on LinkedIn at all? I am. Yep. They can find me on LinkedIn as well. If you search just for my company name, I'll show up there with the rest of my team. Perfect. How about Clubhouse? 
I've never done it. Okay. I tell you what, okay. I'm not like a so, the social uh, guru out there. <laughs> Everyone keeps saying, "Hey, you need to come on and do these clubhouse." I, I don't even have an, an invite for it yet. In fact, I have. When I looked at it, they didn't even have it for. I use Android. They didn't even nope. have it for. They Android. still don't have it for Android. Man. I know. <laughs> I know. It's a weird world. We can get into Clubhouse later, but uh, yeah. So one question for you, just 10 seconds. Is Clubhouse going to make it? Is it going to be another Vine or are they going to live through this? So before I started on it and I was just getting notifications every single day and we didn't do anything with it, I was like, no, what a stupid platform. Like this is just a waste of time. And then I went and did one and there was like 70 people in the room that I was presenting in. and Absolutely. And I'm like, this is the strangest thing. Like imagine getting 70 people out to a webinar right now. Yeah. You'd never have, and it was an incredible conversation. And I'm like, well, I don't know how they're going to monetize it. I'm sure there's going to be some interesting ways. I'm looking forward to that as somebody who loves paid marketing. I can't wait to see how they monetize it. But I heard like the Kool-Aid man was in a room the other day with Gary V going, no oh way. yeah. And that was like a monetized way to do it. I'm like, okay. Like, That's maybe pretty like interesting actually. Yeah. Yeah. So seeing the amount of massive people that have hopped onto it and are using it all the time. I mean, Elon's on. So there's I see it on LinkedIn there. nonstop. Join my clubhouse. Like all day I see it on there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the two places that I'm planning on spending my next year socially are on uh, LinkedIn uh, as always and clubhouse. Okay. Just, I'm going to have to check it out then. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to get an, <laughs> I'm gonna have to get get an, an Apple I'm going to have to go get an iPhone and check it out. <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much for your time today, Kevin. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.